Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Discovered that they really don't have a grasp of what we believe as a as a group of people and so I developed these things called silicone sermons you know the little wristbands that are so popular made out of silicone well we did some of those in fact we have some here if you ever want any but uh, the, it was ba- there were five of them based on our five cardinal doctrines and and we kind of reworded them because our cardinal doctrines are salvation sanctification baptism of the Holy Spirit divine healing and second coming so we began to say it like this and gave the young people wristbands that they could wear to school to remind themselves and to let other people know what we believe and it's the crux of the matter if you will it's this live saved live pure live filled live healed and live ready and that's why today is so important I discovered this there's a lot of preaching going on right now and it's all good preaching about how to live now and you got to know how to deal with daily life and you'll hear some of that today but we can't forget about that fifth cardinal doctrine that Jesus is coming back and we got to keep an eye towards that in our life and so I've asked my dad uh, to come and you'll understand why here in a second because he knows the Bible much better than I do he used to do this whole series like how long was it like nine months no it wasn't that long but it seemed that long when I was a 12 year old on the book of Revelation and he would teach on the book of Revelation and powerful stuff I've asked him to condense that into about 30 minutes and so uh, good luck there but uh, he's going to bring you some word today and it's going to teach you about what we believe about uh, the second coming of Christ so would you give a big passion welcome to my dad Bob Ely Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, good to be home and to worship the Lord with you this morning. And we're excited about this. Now, as I say, before we've done any of these doctrinal studies, that we usually spend about 16 weeks on each one. So in, a, in, a, in, able to, in order to be able to combine those is almost an impossibility. So if you came for the charts, the big timelines, and all the intricacies of the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and how they agree together, the 70 weeks, and what is the mark of the beast, and who is the Antichrist, you're not going to get that this morning. Uh, you need to have Dr. Terry Trammell come and do that. He'll dress up like John in the first session. He'll quote the entire book of Revelation by memory, and then he'll spend the next five or six sessions doing the whole timeline. You'll have to get that from him. I, I want it to go a little bit different way. We're going to talk about the second coming like this, Advent Attitudes. What are our attitudes in the light of his appearing? Article 13 of the uh, faith, of our doctrine of faith, or our articles of faith of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church says this. We believe in the imminent, personal, premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ and love and wait for his appearing. We believe in the imminent, personal, premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ and we love and wait for for his appearing. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And then I want you to turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to read out of a different uh, translation so you'll get this first I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire this will be their argument Jesus promised to come back did he then where is he why as far back as anyone can remember everything has remained exactly the same since the world was created and then we drop down to verse 8 And again, I'm going to read it in a different translation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. To the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness. But God is being patient with you, 
He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The skies will disappear with a loud noise. Everything in them will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. That way, everything will be destroyed. So what kind of people should you be? You should live holy lives and serve God as you wait for and look forward to the coming of the day of God. When that day comes, the skies will be destroyed with fire, and everything in them will melt with heat. But God made a promise to us, and we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where goodness lives. We believe in the imminent, personal, premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, we know a lot about his first coming. The word for coming is advent. It simply means an appearing or a major event in history. And we know a lot about his first advent or his first coming. We talk about unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. We talk about that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we talk about wise men and shepherds and angelic choirs and how he grew as a child, baptized in Jordan, taught, performed miracles, went to the cross, was crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. We talk about his first advent. But often we don't know much about his second advent or his second coming. Because though he came as the crucified Savior the first time, he is coming as a ruling, conquering king the second time. And the Bible says it like this, And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. He had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And though he came as a suffering Savior the first time, with a crown of thorns and stripes upon his back, in order to take your sins out of the way and nail them to his own cross, this time when he comes, he comes as a conquering king a reigning Lord, to establish his rule forever. For he alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe Jesus Christ is about to return to this earth. I believe the next moment in biblical history and in world history is the appearing of Jesus Christ to this earth. And why do I believe that? Well, first of all, let's talk about the Advent promises and its prophecies. Because you see, his second advent is promised by the Savior himself. You remember that Jesus was on his way to Calvary, and he went with his disciples into that upper room, and he shared those last intimate moments with them, and that he, uh, they were troubled because of his explaining of what was about to happen. He had told them that he would be delivered into the hands of wicked men, and they would mock and revile him, and he would be crucified, and the third day he would rise again. And they didn't understand that. And they were troubled by the events of that day. And in those intimate moments with them, he shared with them his very heart. And this is what he said in John chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will return again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He did that to comfort the agitation and the, the nervousness and the troubled of their hearts. He said, in, in the Greek, it's in Fanny. He said, you believe in God. He literally said, have faith in God. But if you believe in God, then have faith in me. Believe in my person. Believe in who I am. Believe in my promise of preparing a place for you. Believe in my power to carry it out. Believe in the place that I am preparing for you. And most of all, put your faith in my parousia, which is the Greek word for coming. Because if I go and prepare that place, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. In fact, the Bible says, What manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God? It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
the Savior promised it. Well, not only the Savior promised it, but the seraphims, the angels reiterated it. You remember in the book of Acts, as they're watching Jesus ascend into heaven, there were two men in white apparel, angels that stood by, and they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. The angel said it was going to happen. And not only that, but the saints of God confirmed it. They proclaimed it, and they lived by the comfort of it. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, taken up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. For the Bible declares that he that was to come will come and will not delay. Behold, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It is even at the door. Well, not only do the saints proclaim it, but the scriptures prophesied about it. In the book of Hebrews, I read to you the three appearings. You remember what he said? He hath appeared once in the end of time to offer up the sacrifice for your sins. That's how he came the first time. He that knew no sin became sin for us. He became the great high priest that offered up the sacrifice of himself, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He took your sin and my sin in his own flesh and nailed it to the cross. He hath appeared once in the, in the, uh, end, of, in the end of time to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But then it says right now, he is appearing in the presence of God for you. He is a great high priest over the household of God. He ever lives and reigns to make intercession for you. There's one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. He is resurrected. He is ascended. He is alive. And he is appearing in the presence of God for you right now. But it says, unto those that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And when he used the word salvation, he's not talking about redemption from your sins. But this time when he comes, no cross, no thorns, no Golgotha, no hillside, no rejection of his own. He's come to restore all things. He's come for the salvation, the eternal redemption of the church, for reconciling the Jews back to himself, for the establishing of the, earth, the eternal ages. When he appears this time, it is without sin unto eternal salvation. I believe he's coming because that's what the word says. But I believe he's coming because all the signs point to his coming. Jesus listed in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 the things that would be going on when he returned. And he said that there would be natural calamities, earthquakes and famines and pestilence and diverse places. He said that there would be social calamities. Nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There would be wars and rumors of wars. He said there would be spiritual calamities, that there would be false Christ and false prophets. He went on to say, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, it would be like that when he came again. All the earth would be filled with violence. All flesh had corrupted itself on the face of the earth. The imagination of men's hearts were only evil continually. But do you remember what he said about the days of Noah's Lot? They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, building and planting, marrying and giving in marriage. You know what he said? They were just living life. All those things are natural. All those things are life. But he said they would be so wrapped up in the now. They would be so wrapped up in the temporal and the material that they would forget the eternal and they would forget the spiritual and that day of his appearing would come like a thief in the night and they would not be ready for his return. The Bible goes on to say that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own self. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Despisers of those that are good. Having a form of godliness but denying the power to change their life. That there would be a great departing from the faith. And men would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Evil men and deceivers would wax worse and worse. I believe he's about to come because all of the signs point to his appearing. 
Even the world knows that. Because, you know, the big thing in the world now is 12-21-2012. You know, you haven't seen all about that? All of the Mayan calendar and Nostradamus' prophecies. And on that particular day, all the planets will be in a direct alignment with the sun. First time in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's going to be all these cataclysmic events and calamities. In fact, I watched a program on the History Channel. And after he, the man, the narrator, showed all these things that were going to happen on 12-21-2012, uh, he said, it's either going to be one of two things. It's going to be the end of violence or a violent end. So even the world is aware. I believe he's coming because he promised it. I believe he's coming because the angels reiterated it. I believe he's coming because the saints believed it and taught it. I believe the scripture prophesies it, and I believe that all the signs are pointing to it. So what are the advent purpose? Why is he coming back? Well, he's coming without sin unto eternal redemption. He's coming to restore all things that were lost. You see, the, the sacred record is incomplete without the book of Revelation. Everything that he started in the garden, man surrendered because of his sin. Because of one man's disobedience, sin came into the world. And because of sin, death. And man gave the dominion that God had given him in the garden. He gave it to Satan, the usurper. And now Satan is the prince of this world. And all the world lieth under the power of the evil one. And there has to be an end. And the end is the coming of the Lord. And he comes to restore everything that man gave up and that man lost in the garden. And he's come to receive the church, to take his redeemed bride as a chaste virgin back to himself. He's come to rout Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet, to remove sin, to judge evil, to judge individuals and nations. He's coming back to reconcile his covenant people Israel. They were cut off because of their unbelief at the cross. But Paul says one day all of Israel will be saved. And the coming of the Lord will bring about the reconciliation of the nation of Israel back to their relationship with God. But he's coming to restore creation. Creation was scarred by sin. And now he's going to redeem the world from the curse. For Paul says in the book of Romans that all creation groans and waits for the day when the sons of God will be revealed so that all of the curse of sin will be removed from the earth itself. And we reread that in the book of Revelation. Because you remember John saw a book that was sealed with seven seals. And the loosening of those seals would bring about the restoration of all things and the removal of the curse of sin from the earth. And no one could open the book. And John said, I begin to weep. But an angel said, do not weep, for one has prevailed to open the book. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. And John said, when I turned to see the line of the tribe of Judah, I saw a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they began to sing, worthy art thou to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. For you were slain and has redeemed us by thine own blood out of every people and kindred and tongue and nation and made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So he's coming to remove what sin stained and scarred in creation. And then he's coming for the restoration of all things. And he's going to renovate this earth. He didn't come to make all new things, but he's coming back to make all things new. And Peter described it like this. He said, the earth will be devoured by fire. But out of that devouring by fire and the melting of the elements, there will come a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And Jesus will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy under his feet is death. And when death is destroyed, then he will offer up the kingdom to the Father and God will be all in all and he will establish eternal ages. Well, amen. Well, what are the plans? We know the purpose. Well, that's the charts and the timeline. So I'm going to try to do in three minutes what those charts do in three months, okay? Okay, we know that we're living in the church age, that Jesus came, died on the cross, established grace, and adopted us Gentiles into the family. And until the Lord comes, we're still in the church age. You can read about that in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. But at the end of the church age, Jesus shall appear. And we that are alive and remain will be caught up with those that are dead in Christ. And we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He will come for his saints. Amen. Hallelujah. And we will be caught up to meet him in the air. And there we will ever be. He's coming for his people. 
That will be the end of the church age. And immediately in Revelation chapter 4, John said, and the heaven was after these things, after the church age, after the coming of the Lord, the heavens were open, and I was caught up to see the things which would be hereafter. And immediately there is the rising of a world figure. We call him the Antichrist. And in the first three and a half years of a seven-year period of tribulation, he is rising as a political leader, and he has a religious power behind him called the false prophet, and he is ascending to power. And he makes a covenant with the Jews. And they rebuild their temple in Jerusalem and begin to offer sacrifice. And they think he's the Messiah. But in the middle of that seven years, he is wounded in the head and dies. And the false prophet brings him back to life. And when he comes back to life, he goes into the temple in Jerusalem and does what we call the abomination of desolation. Instead of offering sacrifice to God, he sets in the temple and proclaims himself to be God. And the Jews know he's not their Messiah. And in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, he turns his wrath against the nation of Israel. And he goes out to deceive the nations. And he gathers them finally in one cataclysmic battle. We call it Armageddon. He draws all the nations to the valley of Medigo, believing that he can defeat Jesus himself. But the Bible said, after we have enjoyed the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, John said, I saw the heavens open, and there was one upon a white charger, and he had a sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth, and he had a crown of thorns on his head, and he had a vesture dipped in blood, and he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we came riding back with him. And he destroyed the nations with the sword that went out of his mouth, and he cast the false prophet and the Antichrist into the lake of fire, and he takes Satan and binds him and cast him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then he sets up a kingdom we call the millennial reign. And for a thousand years he rules and reigns over this earth. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. And a sinner will live to be a hundred years old. And we rule and reign with him. But at the end of the thousand years Satan is loosed. And he goes out to deceive the nations. And he gathers them to battle called Gog and Magog. This time Jesus doesn't even leave the place of his throne. He just lets fire fall down from heaven and consume them. And all of a sudden we have a new heaven and a new earth. And sin is put away. And the unrighteous dead are resurrected to receive their punishment and he sets up eternal ages and there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down from God and we rule and reign with him throughout all eternity well amen <laughs> okay uh, that's not the mark of the beast that's not the false prophet I'm not going to, you, we don't have time for that but that in a nutshell is what's going to happen so we know what's going to happen. We know why it's going to happen. The problem is we look for the sweet by and by. But we have to live in the nasty now and now. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are sojourners. I, I have a new allegiance. I belong to a new kingdom and I have a new king. Unfortunately, I'm in this world. And the Bible said he's not going to take me out of the world, but he's going to keep me from the evil. So Paul, uh, Peter says here, He's going to appear. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. And in light of his appearing, what manner of people ought you to be? How shall we then live? How shall we conduct our life? What are our Advent priorities? What are our Advent principles? What are our personal attitudes about his coming? And that's what we want to study together. The first Advent, they had some attitudes. When Jesus came the first time, there was apathy. Remember? I mean, the religious leaders wouldn't walk eight miles to see him at Bethlehem. And there was no room for him in the end. There was apathy. There was anger. Herod tried to kill him. And, and there was adoration and acceptance. The angels, the wise men, the shepherd, Mary and Joseph recognized his first coming and accepted it and worshipped him. Same attitudes now. You know what the attitude is about his second coming? Apathy. What, what did the Bible say here? Since the, the fathers have fallen asleep, all things remain the same. Where is the promise of his appearing? You said Jesus was going to come. Well, he hasn't come. And so there is this apathy. And then there's this anger. The evil is prevailing. But there are some that are ready. They adore him. They accept him. They worship him. And Peter said there's principles and priorities and personal attitudes that are necessary to live in the light of his appearing. So what are they? Well, the first Advent attitude is you have to be holy. This is your personal relationship to the Savior and to society. For the Bible says this, 
We, what manner of men should we be in the fact that he's coming? We should live with all holy conversation and godliness. That's what Peter says. We should live with all holy life and godlikeness. For the Bible declares that every man that hath this hope in him, his appearing, purifies himself even as he is also pure. The Bible says that the bride of Christ has washed her robes and made them white in the blood of Jesus or the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible declares that Jesus is coming for a church or a bride without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle or any such thing. The book of Revelation, it said these were the ones that were ready. They were made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they love not their life even unto death. Jude says it like this, Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless, without blame, without sin, before his appearing with exceeding great joy. Amen. Paul put it like this, I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless, without fault, under the coming of the Lord, faithful is he who called you who also will do it. For the word says, we are not of those that draw back to perdition or tribulation, but we are those that go on to the saving of our souls. So the first Advent attitude is that we must be holy. In fact, the Bible gives us two commands. Be ye holy as I am holy, and be ye perfect as I am perfect. And the word perfect is teleos in the Greek, which means to be complete or altogether or whole. He's talking about purity and perfection, sanctification and surrender consecration and commitment, spiritual cleansing and spiritual maturing. We are to live whole and complete without sin. That's what he says. Now, he never asks you to do something you can't do. And he never commands you to do something that you can't keep. So what did the Bible say? The bride of Christ has washed her robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. She availed herself of what he made available. He has already made available in his first coming everything for you to live holy in this world. The shedding of his blood, the sending of his Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, the anointing of his word. He has given you everything you need to live like he wants you to live in this world. You have to avail yourself of what he made available. Amen. That is your responsibility. And so the first attitude of his coming, if we believe he's coming, then we are going to live pure. And we're going to live in completion and spiritual maturity. And then we also have a responsibility to society. And, and I don't have time, but if you want to know how you're to live towards society, then study Romans chapter 13 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That will tell you your relationship to rulers, your relationship to saints, your relationship to sinners. It will tell you what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live in this life. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's the first attitude. But the second attitude for his coming is you have to be a harvester. That's our personal relationship to sinners. The Bible says through Peter's writings, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the Lord. That's what King James says. Well, you'll notice in the King James that unto is italicized. It's called an interloper. It's not there in the original language. In other words, the, the, the translators of the King James added that word thinking they would clarify the meaning so you could understand it. They didn't need to. The meaning is clear. Paul, Peter said, in the light of his appearing, the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. There's going to be a new world wherein dwelleth. In light of all of that, you looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Hastening it? Brother Bob, how can I hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, Peter goes on and says, Paul's already told you that. Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We're in the age of grace. Right now, Jesus said to us, lift up your eyes and look up, for the harvest is white and it is ready to be harvested, but the labors are few. In other words, he said, we are like farmers. We go out to harvest the crops. This gospel will be preached into all the world as a testimony to every nation, and then the end will come. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all men. Preach the gospel to every creature. Be a witness in the power of the Holy Spirit because we're gathering the grain. We're gathering lost souls. We're harvesters in his kingdom. And one day, the last soul that will be saved will be put in the barn. 
the last sheaf of grain will be put in the garner. I don't know when that is, and you don't know when that is, but the Father knows when it is. And if I'm out gathering the grain and bringing it into the garner, one day the garner is full, and the Father will turn to the Son and say, Go bring my children home. And the way you hasten is appearing is you are up and about the master's business and you are involved in harvesting others and bringing them into the kingdom. For the Bible says in the book of Revelation, when that day arrives, there will be people from every people, every kindred, every tongue, every nation, every ethnos group will be saved. So if you can't go, then you have to send. That's why we give to missions. Dr. Beecham was here this morning. Do you know since 1920, there's been no Christian testimony in the seven churches written about in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia Minor? Since 1920, there's been no Christian witnesses. It's all Islam and Muslim. But right now, today, because of your giving to missions, there is a house, Pentecostal Christian house church in Laodicea. Amen. If you can't go, you have to give. Because our job is not only to live holy, but we are to live as harvesters. And then the third attitude is we're to be helpers. That's our personal relationship to the saints or one another. Bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. If you see your brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I like one translation. It says you better learn how to help one another and to forgive one another because the day's out, you may need the same forgiveness. And and that's what we're to do to one another. We are bone of bone. We're flesh of flesh. We're members of the same body. We're to encourage one another, to give heart to one another. We're to provoke one another. Well, we do a good job of that. but, But it says, the Bible says, to provoke one another to love and to good works. Now, since we're members one of another, That means I don't have all the gifts and you don't have all the gifts. So that when we come together, you arm me and I arm you. You compliment me and I compliment you. What I don't have but I need you have. And what you don't have but you need I have. And when we come together as a body, we arm one another and we care for one another and we bear one another's burdens. And when somebody's hurting, we all cry. And when somebody's honored, we're not in competition. We all rejoice. That's our responsibility to one another. And we can only do that. Listen. Listen to what he says. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. Now listen. But even the more as you see that day approaching. What day? The day of his appearing. The day when the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. Christ's going to set up his. As you see the day of his appearing coming, you meet together even more. Because we need one another. It's when we get isolated. The lion and the hyena destroys the animals when they cut them out alone. When you get isolated, you get overwhelmed. But when you're in the body, and I'm bearing your load, and you're bearing my load, and we're helping one another, then we're preparing for his appearing. Okay, I got her. Well, not only helpers, but the last attitude is that we are going to be living in hope, and we're happy. Amen. Because, you see, we live in the assurance. The Bible says, comfort you one another with these words that he's about to come. That gives us heart. We have an assurance of his appearing. The Bible says, which hope we have as an anchor, an assurance of our soul that is steadfast and it enters in behind the veil. In other words, my belief and my assurance of his appearing makes me go from this world, because I'm only a temporary resident down here. I'm just, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm a member of another kingdom. And that assurance anchors me behind the veil. It reaches out of the temporariness of this world and anchors me to eternity. Amen. And I believe he's coming. And therefore, I live every day in assurance that he is coming. The Bible calls that our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we not only live in hope, we live happy. We not only live in assurance, we live in joyful anticipation that he could come any moment. We rejoice in the hope of his glory. He said, when you see all these things beginning to come to pass, look up, rejoice, your redemption draweth nigh. Don't you remember how we used to say that? Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share. 
don't look real happy about is appearing this morning. But we're supposed to be filled with joy because He's not coming back to deal with sin. He's coming back for salvation. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. I'll have a new life. Now, that might not mean much to you young people, but when you're 66, having a new body means a whole bunch. It doth not yet appear what what we shall be, but when we see Him, I'm going to be just like Him. I don't know what all that means. I know that when he appeared, they knew who he was. He ate with them. He, he, he wasn't a ghost. They could touch him. I don't know what at all. It just means there's going to be no more sin. Amen. There's not going to be any more weakness. Oh, hallelujah. It means when I get out of the bed in the morning after I played ball in the driveway with my grandsons, I'm not going to ache anymore. It means, oh, hallelujah. It means I'm not going to be tempted anymore. I'm not going to have failure anymore. I'm not going to fall in my judgment anymore. I'm going to have a new body and a new mind. Oh, hallelujah. He's going to restore all things just like they were in the Garden of Eden without sin. Oh, praise God. That makes me happy. That makes us filled with joy. In fact, when you turn to the book of Revelation, John was weeping because nobody could prevail. And the angel said, don't you weep. Don't you worry about it. What you can't do and what man can't do, there's one who has prevailed. <laughs> you know him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but if you'll turn and look, he's a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, and he's going to make not all new things. He's just going to restore and make all things new. And that fills us with joy. Amen. So our prayer becomes John's prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. For the bride says come, and the Spirit says come, even so come, Lord Jesus. Okay, now can I preach? Because what I've discovered is it's not so important that you understand all the particulars. It's not so important that you can identify the Antichrist, that you know what the mark of the beast is that you know the timeline and what Daniel meant by 70 weeks determined and and every little interpretation of the book of Revelation. There's always going to be debates on that. It's kind of like the guy, you know, somebody said, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? And the guy said, I'm none of those, I'm pan-trib. And the guy said, now I know about pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib, but what's pan-trib? And he said, I believe in pan-trib, it's all going to pan out. Because I've got this thing figured out. He's coming. I'm going. I, I'm <laughs> it, it, it's not so much that you understand all the particulars. What's important is that you're prepared. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25 and gave all those parables, he gave them so that you would be prepared. For he said, in such an hour as you think not, the Lord comes. So he said, don't be disturbed. Don't let your hearts be be troubled. Don't be deceived by false prophets. Don't worry about the delay, for the delay of his appearing is the long-suffering and the goodness of God because he doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everybody to be saved. He said, don't be detoured and let your hearts be overcharged. Don't be discouraged. When you see these things, lift up your heads, look up, rejoice. Don't be deaf. Hear what the Spirit says to the church. Don't be dumb and ignorant of the times and the seasons. And most of all, don't be derelict in your duty because He's coming when you're not ready, when you don't think. And so you have to make preparation. And so He gave all these wonderful parables in Matthew 24 and 25. One of them is the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. Remember that one? Pastor Steve has a great message on that. It's called Nightmare on Church Street. Not Elm Street, Church Street. And and, and you remember it's a picture of a Jewish wedding. And to understand it, you have to understand a Jewish wedding. Because, you see, they didn't date like we do. You know, that's Western. No, the, the father of the bride and the father of the groom would agree that that boy and that girl ought to get married to strengthen their family's holdings. And the two men would meet and they would work out an agreement where my son will marry your daughter. No choice. Uh, now, some of our us dads would be wonderful to do. Uh, amen. Uh, and so they would meet and agree. 
And since the lady, the girl, was leaving the household, there had to be a dowry, a financial thing involved, because there was a loss to that family. And so the two men would agree upon a dowry. The moment they agreed on the dowry, those two people were engaged. They were legally a spouse to one another, and to get out of it, they had to get a divorce. But the wedding didn't take place right then. The boy would go back to his father's house, and he would build a room on his father's house or another house on his father's property. And when the room was completed, then he would come get the bride. Does that sound kind of like the coming of the Lord? Okay. And, and, but when he came, people see, then he would take the bride back to the rebuilt house, and they would consummate the wedding, and they had this great celebration. And everybody would be a part. And he would invite everyone. And there were five wise and five stupid virgins. Well, well foolish. Okay? And they knew all about this. And they knew they had to be ready for his coming, right? Because when the bridegroom came for the bride, he never just stopped right there and took the bride. He's Jewish. And they've already agreed on the dowry. But if you agree for $5, maybe you can get it for four ninety nine. And they, they would go in the house and they would haggle over the price. And finally, at an unexpected moment, the agreement would be made and the bridegroom would come out, take the bride and go back to the home to have the celebration. Had to be ready. Well, it was midnight. It lasted a long time. And they all slumbered and slept. And when they awoke, they awoke to a nightmare. For when they awoke, the five foolish virgins said, we, we put oil in our lamps, but our lamps are going out. And we didn't bring any extra. And the five wise, they had not only taken oil in their lamp, but they'd taken extra oil in a vessel. And now they trimmed their lamps and ready to be a part of the procession and go to be with the bridegroom. And the foolish said, our lamps are going out. We can't see in the dark. Give us of your oil. And they said, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. That's another sermon. I'd love to preach that to you sometime. That's a nightmare. But that's not the big nightmare. These five foolish woke up unprepared. They knew he was coming, but they didn't take oil in their lamps. And now their lamps are going out. And the wise said, go and buy for yourself. And they did. I don't know where they found an on-cue at that time of night. Or a, 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 a all-night Walmart. But they went and bought the oil. But while they were buying the oil, the bridegroom takes the bride in the procession and goes to the house and closes the door and starts the celebration. And when they get there, it's too late. And they're knocking on the door and saying, let us in. And he says, I don't know you. They weren't ready. They were unprepared. You know why? They depended on a generous amount of time. Oh, time won't run out. Since the fathers have fallen asleep, everything remains the same. Where is the promise of his appearing? I've got plenty of time. The Bible said he's going to come like a thief in the night. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet, with the voice of an archangel, as the lightning flashes from one end of the heavens to another, he's going to come in the moment that you think not. You're not going to have time then. Because what does the Bible say in Revelation? When he appears, let him that is holy be holy still. Let him that is righteous be righteous still. Let him that is unjust be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy. In other words, can't change then. It's too late. And they depended upon the generosity of others. Give us. You can't live on somebody else's experience. You can't live on somebody else's supply. You can't live on somebody else's prayer. You can't live on somebody else's anointing. You have to have oil in your own lamp. And then they depended on the generosity of the bridegroom. Oh, we know him. He's a good guy. He's always going to be kind. He's always going to be merciful. He's always going to be forgiven. He's always going to be benevolent. Really? No, when he comes, that day of grace is over. Read about it in Revelation chapter 6. And the wise men and the kings of the earth, they ran in the dens and the caves, and they said, Hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne. Hide us from the wrath of the, wrath of the Lamb. We know about the goodness of the Lamb, the love of God the generosity of his grace and his favor and his mercy. But there's coming a day when he is set to judge the world by his son, Jesus Christ. And when he appears, it is the wrath of the lamb. And you can't depend on the generosity of the bridegroom. So the whole thing is not that you know all the particulars. You just know the assurance that he's coming. You live in anticipation and joy, and you're ready. You're prepared. Because it may happen 
just like this. going to work. Just hang in there. work this morning this service ends in a moment twinkling of an eye blast of a trump and a shout from heaven gone changed so it's not the particulars it's are you prepared stand with me and that preparation is that you washed your robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, that you know your sins are forgiven. And that preparation is as easy as A, B, C, A. You acknowledge that you've sinned. We've all sinned, fallen short of His glory. B, you believe that when He died, He did that for you. He took your sins to His cross. And He was resurrected in the news flight, and He ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. And C, when you confess your sins, you call upon His name. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the question is, are you ready?
If he came right now, and this mic drops to the floor, and we're changed and caught up, would you be in that number? Father, you know where we are right now. You know everything in our lives. You know when we are prepared and when we're not. And what we need you to do is through your Holy Spirit, bring us to that place that we're willing to confess our sins, believe upon you, be saved. For you're coming the second time without a sacrifice for sin. And at that point, there'll be no more time. And we need to be ready. And we ask you to help us to avail ourselves of what you've already made available. In Jesus' name, while every head's bowed, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never availed yourself of the blood of the Lamb to wash away your sins, to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you call upon His name, you will be saved. And you need Him as your Savior this morning. Would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I, I'm not ready. If he came right now, I would not be ready to meet him in the air. I would not go with joy. I would pull back in sorrow and embarrassment. I wouldn't be ready. Pray for me. Is there one right now? Quickly, I just want to pray for you. I need Jesus. I need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Maybe you know him, but there's something in your life that needs to be blotted out and erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We wash our robes. We avail ourselves. We purge ourselves, even as he is pure. We cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness of the fear of the Lord. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. And there's an area in my life that I need cleansed. I need to avail myself of his forgiveness and his cleansing power so I would be ready if he came. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me? Amen. Amen. Father, you see us where we are. You said they that be Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts thereof. We crawl on your cross and we die with you so that even as you're resurrected in the newness of life, we are resurrected in the newness of life, that you make us new creations. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. So right now, wash us purge us cleanse us help us to be ready for your appearing to live in hope and in joy because when you shall appear we shall be like you for we shall see you as you are wash and cleanse your people make them strong in the Lord and the power of his might keep them ready and prepared for that day of your return in Jesus name amen it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.